Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rise and shine, football fans. Welcome to Morning Footy. We are closing out the week's Wrong. I am Susanna Collins. That's Nico Cantor, Jaleel Anibaba, Alexis Guerreros, Ali Trost Martin here for some headlines. Jaleel, it's your first Footy Kit Friday. It is. It is. And you are bringing it, sir. I mean, this Ooh. Nigeria kit is straight <laughs> fire. Straight fire. The, if we are good and known for one thing in Nigeria, it's our kits. And yeah. if you guys thought I was going to wear anything else on my first morning kit Friday, you guys had another thing coming for you. Repping Nigeria all day today. Let's get it. Nigeria awesome. don't miss. Nah. Nope. They really don't. Nope. No, they don't. All right, let's get into the big match from yesterday. Uh, the United States taking on Trinidad and Tobago in the quarterfinals of Nations League. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I fell asleep in about the 75th minute. Don't blame you. And it was still nil-nil at this point, And I, I was not feeling great about how the U.S. was playing. Trinidad-Tobago go a man down, two yellow cards, and I just, I, w- I was like, this is, what we're, this is what we're doing. And then I was pleasantly surprised when I woke up to see <laughs> that suddenly there was a, a flurry of goals after the 80th minute, and they ended up winning 3-0. So, and Jimmy Conrad was absolutely spot on with his scoreline once right. again. The man Yet doesn't again. miss. Um, but here we go. I mean, what you saw there is Anthony Robinson continue to be effective, mm-hmm. you know, clearly had a, had a, had his eye on the attack. I liked what I saw from him, and then, you know, my positivity starts to slide a little bit from there. We were up, mm. we were up a man mm. for 43 minutes yeah. mm. without this, scoring a goal. This right here is a k- k- boom! You know what's coming here. Fuagata. Yeah. That is a little hey! bit of a fuagata. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's Fouillet right there. A little bit of a deflection, but it's probably going in anyway. Anthony Robinson has a very, very top-performing night, and he's flipping amazing on the night. And I I just love what he did because he continued to attack and was relentless all evening. Uh, Go ahead, Cook. Go ahead, Nico. (laughs) Cook, Cook, my boy. And here's here's Gio's goal once Trinidad and Tobago stopped running. Do, do we want to be serious? Do we want to grade this I, game I think at face value for 3-0? Or do we want to get serious as to how this United States... I don't think the scoreline is indicative this. of how this game actually No, went. let's, let's Tr- get, certainly it. Let's not get how into it. Felt. Yeah. Trinidad and Tobago had one shot, zero on target. The United States controlled possession. This was a training session for the United States. I would say an un- unsuccessful training session. They got the win, which is the most important thing, and that's great. That's uh, 
eggs in the basket for the positive things. More eggs in the basket for the positive things. Greg Berhalter made substitutions that changed uh, the look of the team. He played with two strikers to end the game. Usually Berhalter subs are man for man. And that's also, I think that's another silver lining. I think Berhalter was obligated to change a little bit the look and feel of the team in search of the result, and he got it. That's great. But through 75, 80 minutes, this was a poor performance from the U.S. men's national team. It was really bad, considering, and with all due respect, how awful Trinidad and Tobago were. They have dropped off so much from the Trinidad and Tobago's we grew up watching. They had players that looked like they were genuinely out of shape. I couldn't believe that there were some players on that national team that weren't fitter than the ones on the field. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were slow to recover. They were slow to uh, mark U.S. players. And for the U.S., it was slow. It was predictable as hell. It was, it was just bad because they were not moving the ball. They were not dynamic enough. They were not breaking down their opponent. Yes, they sat in a low block. And yes, it's difficult. But we have players that are playing in Champions League. They have players that are playing in fourth division Sweden. I expected so much more from this men's national team, so much more from a Berhalter side that I think is still trying to prove that his tactics, his ball has taken strides forward. And it feels somehow, compare that to Nations League final, compare that to the Mexico game, Compare that to the Canada game, or, or we beat Canada in the final, I forgot yeah. we played in the final. Yeah. Um, correct. How different that looked. I well, was then what was different about those games? The rhythm. I think most importantly, if we look at just the team itself, it was that Burr Halter wasn't the coach, but it was still his tactics. This team, or the last few teams, I don't think they looked incredible against Uzbekistan. Obviously, we get a 3-0 win. Uh, they certainly didn't look great against Germany. They don't look great against Trinidad and Tobago. These are still Berhalter's tactics, but maybe it's what, how it's being delivered. I'm, I'm assuming maybe there's, is it too much pressure being put on the, is there too much information being given to this team? Are we expecting our players to do too much tactically? Uh, maybe it's too structured. I don't know what the difference was between how BJ delivered Berhalter's mm-hmm. tactics versus how Berhalter's delivering Berhalter's tactics now in his second run with this team. But there's clearly a difference we're seeing on the pitch, and it's the freedom there's a lack of fun, and we can't say it's the level of competition because I just mentioned Uzbekistan and Trinidad and Tobago, and we were playing Canada, uh, um, Mexico, big teams, teams that, that came to play. There's something frustrating about how stagnant and stale we look on the pitch, especially when we're up a man for 43 minutes against what you've already said is a not, not exactly our highest level of competition in Trinidad and Tobago and at home. And I know we won 3-0, and I don't want to turn this into a negative thing, but there's something, something – questions have to be asked as to why this feels a bit more like we're running in mud versus well, previous. For me, what I'll say is that, it, you know, all of the previous games where you're trying to compare it to Nations League final X, Y, and Z, you have to understand that these are against teams that tried to come out and play and open up. That's right. a completely different game. Fair. So, therefore, I don't think that you can compare – fixtures one-to-one. You have to take every game and analyze it in a vacuum. One of the hardest things to do in football in terms of scoring goals and creating chances is breaking down a low block. 
How did they do in breaking down the low block yesterday? And it wasn't even a low block. They sat their entire team basically in the box, if not top box. And to analyze how they did in breaking that down, first half, poor. And then when they came out in the second half, they were much better, they were much sharper, they were much more advantageous. The first chance that really opened things up for me was when Musa took a shot from Y or from distance. Deep, from distance, and then that allows the or that's gonna force Trinidad to step up just a little bit. And then when you have your Anthony Robinsons and you have your Serginio Desk getting in advanced uh, wide positions, it puts the team in a, in a more advantageous situation when they're whipping balls in. And then that's when the goal started to flow. I do agree with you that they could have been sharper definitely in, in, the, in the early stages because they, they looked a little bit disjointed. But at the end of the day, what Berhalter wanted from the team was for them to be patient. If you go into one of the greatest coaches ever, John Wooden, his pyramid of success, one of the, the aspects of that pyramid is to make haste slowly, meaning you have to be patient in your approach and then at the right times, look for the kill, bang, and get it. And that's what I saw last night from the U.S. men's national team. And I, but it wasn't perfect. So I, you're feeling a little bit more positive than, than Nico over here about the overall performance. He said he's glass half full guy. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> where, where I'm coming from is that you have to look at every game in a vacuum yeah. and understand that, for me, you have to just get results. And I know that we would have all wanted to beat Trinidad maybe 8-0 or sure. whatever happened. No, 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 not necessarily beat them 8-0. I, I would have been sitting here more optimistic if they would have beat them 2-0, but they played dynamic football. They were able to get between lines. I understand breaking down an opponent is difficult. Look, I thought they had a good 45 minutes against Germany. Sadly, football's not 45 minutes. It's a 90-minute game where specific errors made the U.S. crumble in that game. And when we say we want to make a World Cup quarterfinal, when we want to aspire to a World Cup semifinal on our soil, we can't be making those mistakes. We shouldn't have so much trouble beating a Trinidad and Tobago team that is several tiers below. This, this wasn't Honduras. This wasn't Costa Rica. This wasn't Panama. What would Trinidad they- and Tobago is by far, the, out of the eight teams that have a possibility of making Copa America and champ in the CONCACAF Nations League Final Four, Trinidad and Tobago is by far the worst. What should they have done and how should they have done it to have been better? Should they have scored earlier or... Uh, they they should have moved the ball quicker, found those pockets, show that they're able when they confront an opponent that wants to sit in a very deep block, find a way to pull them out. Use the ball movement. And I understand it's difficult. I uh, Listen, Argentina against Jamaica and the Copa America in 2000, the Centenario 2016, had a very difficult game to break down Jamaica and they only won 1-0 and it, it happens. Mm-hmm. Granted, look at it in a vacuum, sure. Just it wasn't good. This, this vacuum specifically for, for 83 minutes, it wasn't good. And they finally got the result. And I think at the end of the day, you walk away 3-0. Okay, move on. Next game. Fine. It's fine. Hopefully win, it improves. Win is a win. Um, all right, guys, we are going to take a quick timeout. Ali Trost Martin is going to be back with some headlines. Uh, we're also going to touch base with Jeff Shreves for some breaking news out of the Premier League. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Happy Friday, everyone. Um, we're going to send it on over to our fifth team member, Ali Trost-Martin, who is repping Sporting Kansas City today. You look great. Thank you. I know I've been insufferable as they've made their playoff run. Is their name on the back? Oh, yeah. We've got Logan and Dembe. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Got to yeah. Get well and soon. Dembe, get well soon. Just incredible postseason. And uh, we wish you the best in your recovery. Go SKC. And uh, now let's get into the headlines of the day. The injury, uh, injury bug has run absolutely rampant around the international break. And Erling Holland is the latest big name to pick up a knock. The Manchester City striker sustained an ankle injury in Norway's friendly against Island. Holland came off the bench and appeared to have re-aggravated a left ankle injury that he's been dealing with this season. Holland finished out the match and Norwegian team doctor Ola Sand was quoted saying Holland's ankle was quote a little bit vulnerable. In other injury news, Real Madrid has announced that Eduardo Camavinga's knee injury is a serious one that will keep him out for up to two months. Real Madrid announced this morning that Camavinga suffered a torn lateral collateral ligament while in training camp with the French national team. And in Major League Soccer news, one of the eight vacant head coaching jobs is reportedly close to being filled. According to multiple reports, the Colorado Rapids are hiring Chris Armas as their new head coach. The former New York Red Bulls and Toronto FC head coach will take charge of a Rapids side that fired longtime head coach Robin Frazier during the season. Armas most recently served as an assistant at Leeds United and prior to that spent time as an assistant with Manchester United. In EPL news, Mikel Arteta has been charged by the English FA over his comments that were critical of match officials following Arsenal's 1-0 loss to Newcastle United on November 4th. Arteta called the decision to allow Anthony Gordon's game winner for Newcastle, quote, disgraceful. The FA has charged Arteta with making insulting comments towards the match officials. He has until November 21st to respond to the charge. And staying in the Premier League, we have some major breaking news this morning. Everton has been deducted 10 points for a breach of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules during the 2021-22 season. An independent commission issued the deduction, which drops Everton from 14th place in the Premier League standings to 19th place ahead of last place Burnley on goal difference. Everton is one of six Premier League teams to never be relegated. For more on this breaking story, we now bring in CBS Sports correspondent Jeff Shreves from England. Jeff, welcome to Morning Footy. What can you tell us about Everton's point deduction? Good morning to you, Ali. What I can tell you is that Everton themselves are absolutely stunned by this. I don't think they would have ever imagined that the punishment would be so severe. They've made it very clear indeed that they intend to appeal this as soon as possible and robustly as well. It all centres around the difference in opinion between the Premier League and the club themselves about basically how the accounts were recorded. Everton are citing money's lost 
in terms of COVID, in terms of the losses in going towards the new stadium at Bramley Dock, and also as well, they lost around about 200 million in their minds in terms of potential sponsorship deals when Russia invaded Ukraine. So it's a fairly complex case, but the actual sanction handed down by the Independent Commission has absolutely rocked not just Merseyside in terms of the decision, but I think there'll be other clubs as well looking on this very, very, uh, shall we say, with a certain amount of caution, trepidation and concern as well. Of course, I'm referring to Manchester City and Chelsea who have potential charges against them. And you shouldn't be too quick to say, OK, if Everton got docked 10 points, Manchester City, for instance, it's 115 cases against them or individual points, if you like. It's a completely different scenario. So we should be careful with that. But of course, a lot of people are saying, well, okay, if that's what Everton got for this one season, surely you're talking about multiple, multiple sanctions for other clubs if indeed they're misdemeanors, as they are viewed, or are much more serious. So, but right now, the reality is Everton are going to appeal, but it is with immediate effect. So, as you said, they are sat down there just above Burnley on goal difference, which is incredible. Jeff, can you talk to me about the appeal process for this and sort of how long that could potentially take? Is that a decision that could come down uh, in weeks or are we talking months here for Everton? Well, it's, it's difficult to know because it's an independent commission. Secondly, this is the first Premier League club ever to be charged with regards to the PSR side of the accounting. So it's unprecedented, if you like. I would expect them, Everton, to submit their appeal within weeks. And bear in mind how quickly this was dealt with, I do think they will get a decision relatively quickly. And once they go to appeal, that will be the end of it once that decision is made. But in their minds right now, they've got to, well, they are going to have to accept they are sat where they are in the table. There's almost, if you like, the physical reality of where they're sat and where they could improve that position if their appeal was successful. Personally, I think it's possible that their appeal may have some grounds, if you like, but it's the severity of the points deduction, which I think they have found so completely unjust um, in their minds. They, they, they viewed it, in fact, their statement said it was wholly disproportionate and unjust. It's the severity of the 10 points. I think they're still in that with a points deduction. Whether or not it's 10 points is open, really, to conjecture. Jeff, you mentioned about the potential precedent that this can set for Chelsea and specifically Manchester City, but you didn't mention that the situations are different. I think today, when we scroll through social media and we take these news for face value, when they're a little bit more complex to understand, what can you tell us about how these situations are different between Everton and Manchester City? I think first and foremost, you've got to look at what drove this process. And that's the important part. This was the Premier League themselves. The league pushed for, they actually pushed for a 12-point deduction. So they want the, the league wants to protect the integrity surrounding the financial rules in every aspect of the Premier League. So they were hugely... They made their position very clear. They wanted Everton punished, and they wanted them punished severely, as we said, in an unprecedented manner. But the actual 
it, once again, it goes down to the specifics of it and the mitigating circumstances. Manchester City have said they will defend their position vigorously. And of the, I mean, when you hear 115 charges, it, it just sounds quite extraordinary um, that the league view that there are that many, over 100 cases of financial recording, which is not in line with their rules and regulations. Manchester City say, nope, we, we can defend our position on this, absolutely. But as I said just now, because Manchester City, as part of their defence, they won't be citing losses on building a new stadium. And they also won't be citing potential losses in terms of a new sponsor because of the war between Russia and Ukraine. So they're complete, and the Chelsea case is completely different as well. That's why I think it's a mistake, as you said. On social media right now, everybody's saying, oh, what about Manchester City? They're completely different. It doesn't mean that they won't be charged. However, I think what this does demonstrate, that if the Premier League feel that any club, for whatever reason, have broken the rules, they will push the strongest possible sanctions. You just can't compare the actual charges. Yeah, it does feel like they're almost using this as an example, uh, just to you know, kind of insert their seriousness about the entire situation. Jeff, um, do you mind sticking around? We want to keep you on and uh, chat some some Euro qualifiers after a quick break. Absolutely. Any time for that? Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for all that. Um, all right, guys, we're going to be right back with uh, more from Jeff Shreves chatting Euro qualifiers 2024. Stick around. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Well, the final matches of the Euro 2024 qualifiers are currently underway. Here's a look at the notable weekend fixtures to look forward to and uh, a couple of interesting ones in Group C. England taking on Malta today at 2.45 p.m. on FS1 and the big one, Italy, North Macedonia. There's a lot at stake at that one, 2.45 p.m. Eastern on VIX. Uh, for more on England, though, let's bring back our good friend Jeff Shreves, who was kind enough to stick around and chat with us. Hello again, Jeff. Um, let's chat about England, who have a game against Malta. Now, they've already qualified, but for, for England, who want to stay on top of the group, how do you anticipate Garrett Southgate approaching this match against Malta? That's a good question, Susanna, because um, I think Garrett Southgate has made it clear, yes, of course, England are expected to beat Malta. They've already beaten 4-0 previously, but this is an important game. They're not treating this like a friendly, and I also think that would be reflected in his team selection. He won't experiment too much with this game. Uh, but at the same time, there's no question the North Macedonia game, the next game, is the more difficult game. He won't want certain players to play both games. So I think that could have a big influence on tonight. Also, particularly around the fullback area. I think that's where the area where he's got options. He's missing Luke Shaw. So it's the left-back position that's interesting. Kieran Trippier can play there, of course. Kayo Tamori is a potential to play there. He could also play on the other side. 
Carl Walker likely to be the right back as well. So I just think that in the fullback area, one of, if you like, the understudied centre halves will end up playing at left back. Which one? I'm not sure. I think Mark Gay will partner Harry Maguire in central defence. And then a really interesting press conference this week where Trent Alexander-Arnold talked about how he sat down with Gareth Southgate, talked about playing in midfield. And Gareth Southgate said to him, look, you know, this is your opportunity. This is your chance to shine. That's where I see more possibilities for you. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Cole Walker is the number one right back for England. Kieran Trippier, as we said, can play on the right back as well. So if Trent is going to get in, that really is the place for him to play. And remember, Jurgen Klopp was quite dismissive of Gareth Southgate playing him there. And then subsequently, he's played there for his club. And with James Madison out of the squad due to injury as well, that makes it even more of an important night for Trent Alexander-Arnold. So I expect him to play and him to play in midfield. Jeff, I want to ask you about um, a different opponent in this group in Italy. Uh, they are playing mm-hmm. North Macedonia today. Three days later, they travel to Ukraine, quote, um, in quotes, to compete against Ukraine. It's looking more and more likely like they will have a difficult road to qualify. What are, you, what are their overall uh, thoughts going on right now in Europe about where, where do they stand? And do you give them a chance here? You give them a chance, but you've got to say, it is, uh, in, in the words of Sir Alex Ferguson, it's definitely squeaky bum time, isn't it, for them? <laughs> because <laughs> North Macedonia beat them in the World Cup qualifiers in, in the playoffs in 22. I think I'm right Correct. in saying. So then they'll be going on to play Ukraine. And it looks like that match, if they get the right result in the first one against North Macedonia, that could very easily be winner takes all. I mean, I think the bottom line is they don't score enough goals, do you? That, that, that's where their problem is. They do not score enough goals. There's under splitting, they're just not, I don't know, they just, they just don't get enough in terms of for all the possession they have, their firepower is not there and they're, they're not gelling under him. So if they don't qualify for the Euros either, it's really been a poor period for Italy. And Jeff, I just wanted to rewind a little bit back to, to the English national team and ask you about Raheem Sterling and why he's been left off of or left out of the squad in, in this round, and what do you think that really means in terms of his future with the national team and the state of, of where he, he sits with Southgate? You know, I think it's possible to read two things into this one. Uh, he knows what he gets from Raheem Sterling. He's been a consistent player under Gareth Southgate, but he's left him out of the previous, I think it's four squads now, he's, he's left him out of. So you could look at it uh, one of two ways. Either he's not going to feature in his plans, which would be amazing given his current form and also how well he's done for England previously. Or he is in Gareth plans, but these two games coming up, I would never, ever use the words walkover. Um, but these games are in games that England should win. So there is the possibility for Gareth Southgate to experiment in them. So what he might feel is that I shouldn't bring Raheem back for this. I do plan to bring him back, but not right now because I wouldn't want to bring him in the squad and him not play. When he was asked about it, Gareth Southgate said 100% door is still open for Raheem Sterling. And you have to say on his current club form, he should be in the England squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Jeff, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us again today. Enjoy the weekend. I'm sure we'll catch up with you very soon. Thank you, folks.
All right, guys, we're going to take a break. We are going to chat some uh, CONMEBOL World Cup qualifiers, mm. including a massive 2-1 <laughs> win for Colombia over Brazil. That's coming up after a quick break. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Kamabal World Cup qualifiers underway. Here's a look at the results uh, from yesterday. Bolivia get the 2-0 win over Peru. It was a scoreless draw between Venezuela and Ecuador. Uruguay, the 2-0 win over Argentina, Nico. Mm -hmm. I know, we'll get into that. But uh, the big result, Colombia, get the 2-1 win over Brazil. This is the first time they have beaten Brazil in a World Cup qualifier. So here's a look at the standings. After match day five, Argentina currently sitting on top. Uruguay and Colombia right behind those. So let's chat about Colombia Brazil. 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 Uh, this was um, a pretty emotional win for them for, for many reasons, but Luis Diaz scoring both of the goals for Colombia on the heels of what was an excruciatingly hard time for him with his dad and the kidnapping incident and watching him celebrate, watching his dad celebrate, I mean, you can't, <laughs> you just can't help but get hit in the feels after this. What an what a incredible moment. That's the storyline of this game. Colombia has never beat Brazil in World Cup qualifying and the fact that in this game, when <laughs> Colombia for so long, what, what, what beautiful scenes. <laughs> Only football does that, you know? Um, when Colombia was desperately searching for a goal score, remember at the beginning of this week, yeah. I said, Luis Diaz hasn't been on form. They've been struggling to score, and in that first game after his dad was kidnapped for 12 days, and it was the focus of national and much of international news. Yeah, the footballing world. They were locked in on the Luis Diaz and Luis Diaz's dad story. The fact that he was able to deliver against that. Of all teams, Brazil in Barranquilla, Full crowd, and his dad was able to see. The dad was probably going through hell. Imagine in the darkest of places, your mind goes thinking about a possible death, never seeing your children again. You don't know when you're in that situation, the, the trauma that that man must have lived. Mm -hmm. To then, the, the turnaround, from going to the darkest place you've ever been in your entire life to probably one of the happiest yes. moments that as a father you can see, it's, it's, a, it's that is a roller coaster of emotions. And I, I'm, I'm so happy for, for the Diaz family. I'm so happy for, for Colombia as a whole because politically there's a, a bit of uncertainty, a bit of turmoil, a bit of insecurity right now as a country, and that has to do with the Luis Diaz kidnapping, such a high-profile kidnapping that we haven't seen in a while, and the fact that the story ended up for a moment as a happy ending for the, for the Diaz family and for Colombia as a whole in this Brazil game, 
it was it was so sweet and, and, and heartwarming. At it the really end of the day. was. I, I keep in mind too. I mean, the, just the 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 mental fortitude of Luis Diaz is unbelievable. He also he scored the equalizer for Liverpool yep. against, against Luton, Luton. Mm -hmm. in the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. This is while his dad was still being Kidnapped. held captive. Yeah. And I I just. I don't know. I mean, football is is so special and and such a gift. And and for him, it just seems like he's been able to kind of use it as I don't know, even just a, a healing tool, as a way to kind of get through what had to be just an absolutely unimaginable, horrifying situation. I just I cannot get over the mental toughness of Luis Diaz and what a beautiful payoff for that family. Um, I think you see it. I think you saw it in his face when yeah. he scored. It, the, the term cathartic comes to mind. It, it just, uh, an emotional release where you don't, your body doesn't even know what to do, your face doesn't know what to do. Do you smile, do you cry? What, who are these, you know, getting other players away from him so that he can have a moment with him and his father, but really it's the whole world watching. It was a pretty, it was a yeah. pretty touching moment. Yeah. And if on the flip side of this, you know, to look at what's going on with Brazil, as soon as Vinicius comes out with an injury, it's a completely different team. And now you're starting to worry a little bit You've got three matches where you haven't uh, won two losses in a row, if I'm not mistaken. This mm -hmm. is a rough patch for Brazil. Mm -hmm. A Brazil which are what, in fifth place? What did fifth, we say? Fifth? Place. Fifth. How shocking oh. is that, Nico? It, it is very shocking. Brazilian football, speaking of the national team specifically, um, is very far away from the strongest that they've been. Brazil, for the most part, I would probably say in every single World Cup qualifier, they have not had a problem. And there are issues with this Brazilian team. The fact that they don't have a manager, that they haven't confirmed who will be the manager. Fernando Giniz can only carry so much on his plate. He has Fluminense in the Copa Libertadores final, but he also has to guide Brazil through a bit of a tumultuous direction that they're heading in. And make no mistake, they're, he's a liaison. Right. He, is, he is simply a Sherpa from one side of the bridge to the other. But we don't know what is on the other side of that bridge yet. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that it's going to be Ancelotti. But until Ancelotti is the one making those decisions. Who's and, not even confirmed, It's not by confirmed, the way. but I mean, you know, all right. sides point to that. But until he's the one making those decisions, inputting his sort of personality onto this team, they're sort of... You know, a, but, a group uh, of eleven with no mission. Even. They're also in dis in disarray as well because of because their, it's Brazil. Their, Fifth is disarray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Quotes are also in disarray yeah. because of the absence of Neymar. Yeah. And also, it's it's long term. We don't know when he's going to come back. And to even think about what this team does with and without oh, wow. Neymar is absolutely wild here. <laughs> Look at the amount of losses. With, with him, without. in 128 matches, they only have 12 losses. Without him, 49, 49 matches without him and 11 losses. It's just staggering the impact that Neymar has on this Brazilian national team, what he means on and off the field. Also, with a player of his magnitude, it, it sends a completely different message to your opponent when he's in the team sheet, when he's playing. The preparation to play against Brazil is completely different mm. when he's there and when he's not, and that definitely plays into it for sure. But I wanna just go back to Luis Diaz just a little bit here. We're talking about how important and emotional this, this win is for, for, for all of Colombia and the Diaz family. It just proves the point that football transcends all. It's why we love this game. And I, 
I was tracking this game last night, and I, I, couldn't, I could not believe it. I could not believe what I was seeing. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I've been in moments where I've, I've scored goals that have an, an ounce of magnitude mm-hmm. compared to this, and my family's emotional. So I cannot imagine what, what, what it is in terms of the emotions that are going on with their family. Nico, you talked about the emotional roller coaster, but this is one that is just a feel-good story to the nth degree with such a tragic beginning to it. Yep. You, you, you can't script it up any better, and you know, hopefully the, the ascendancy for the Diaz family continues to ride high and stay amongst the, it's the clouds. Beautiful. It's beautiful. I oh. have goosebumps and it's because of that, not because it's cold in here yeah. for the first time. I do want to give also a shout out to James Rodriguez, who yep. part, of, he, part, of his, yeah. part of this retribution uh, you know, tour he's on is absolutely yeah. incredible. It looks like he's dialed the clock back a few years. Sao Paulo is good for him. The sun is good for him. Mm-hmm. Get out of England. Get out of Europe. Get out of wherever you were. But he's not, he's not even playing that much at Sao Paulo. He just, when he gets to the national team, he's back. Boom! He steps it up a whole nother level. Yeah, he's back, baby. Hamas. At least in attacking. Everyone back. else is still James Rodriguez, uh, but in attacking, he looks good. Nico, quickly, Ooh, Argentina. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. not so quickly. Mm-hmm. Can we can we just forget commercials? Uruguay. <laughs> no, Uruguay. Argentina 2-0. Not only did they beat, what not, on, not only did, did Uruguay beat Argentina, they're coming off of beating Brazil. U- Uruguay under Marcelo Bielsa has returned to charrua football and then some charrua is how they describe themselves it, it's that that the claw the, the talents that they sink into their victims and they definitely have that fight that identity that relentlessness they're opportunistic they're clinical they are back and it's great to see the way that they're organized between ugarte and Valverde in the midfield, mm-hmm. how they, they were able to suffocate Argentina, not let them play a, a national team that is probably, last World Cup cycle, we were saying, this is the best national team in the world, the way that they combined, and Uruguay was able to be patient um, and, and contained, jump, pounce on Argentina, make them feel uncomfortable for 90 minutes. They deservedly won yesterday, and all credit to them. Wow. I just, I want to give, because I took a screen cap of this, and... This is going to be rude of me looking at my phone. No, I love show. it. This is but great. Before this match, Argentina hadn't lost in 14 matches, mm-hmm. hadn't lost to Uruguay in their last seven meetings. That's five wins and two draws. Yeah. They have won their last 14 games in a row, and they were unbeaten at nine home games. Yeah. That's Argentina. The That's the Uruguay home. went into La Bombonera, which... Somebody made some money. Yeah, unusual. <laughs> Usually, La Bombonera is not an easy place to play, regardless, but for, all, for an Argentina match, yeah. that place was buzzing, jumping yep. loud. And, and I'm, it was tough to watch. As neutral as I am, I'm half Uruguayan, but I don't really know that side of the family. As, as neutral as I was, I was sitting there going like, well, Argentina's getting played off this pitch mm-hmm. in front of their, their mm-hmm. fans who could not stop chanting for 90 straight minutes. Wow. I, what, Ugar, what he was doing with Ugarte and Enzo, Enzo Fernandez, or um, I forgot who it was that was tracking Ugarte, but he was playing him out of position. He was making him chase him around the pitch. As soon as they got the ball back, they were doing what uh, Bielsa wants to do, which is immediately attack. And there were moments where Darwin Nunez, I'm like, man, he's starting to miss shots. But, bro, once he got cooking, 
This Uruguay with is, Darwin. You yeah, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta get warmed up. Yeah, He's like that car you start. You're like, no, don't hit that gas just yet. Easy, easy. Wait till the knock stops. You, you, you had one in the first half. That it was. <laughs> you gotta love down. the Uruguayan fighting, fighting spirit, fighting it's spirit. The tenacity when, of when the, the chips. Are, oh. When the chips are are stacked against them, Uruguayans have a have a way about them that's very inspiring, and it showed last night. Mm. Definitely did. All right, guys, we are going to take a break. Uh, when we return, the head coach of the U.S. U-17s, Gonzalo Segueres, a good friend of Jaleel's, he's going to join us for a conversation. That's going to be fun. Stick around. We'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 